people are, are, you know, you've come to a very, very important service because it's the beginning of a series that we're going to be doing for the next five or six weeks. Uh, and it's called, as you see on the screen, Future Family. And, uh, you know, I say this a lot about the, the series that we do, but this may be the most important one we've done all year. So if you're here today, it's great to have you. I think you're going to get a lot from uh, what we are going to talk about for the next few weeks. And uh, again, as was stated in the welcome for all of our veterans and for those of us, uh, for those of you that are serving in our armed forces, we are super duper grateful. I want you to feel special this weekend and all year long because uh, what we have, what we take for granted is because of your service. And uh, if you have if you have friends or family, uh, be sure, uh, you know, I got on my, my phone yesterday and I have a few friends that are in the armed forces and I sent them some text messages just to let them know, hey, thank you and God bless you. Uh, for what you're doing. So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Let our people in, uh, in uniform know how, how special they are. Uh, so today's the beginning of our series, and uh, we're going to talk about the title of today's uh, services or, or lesson is called Ideal and Real. The Ideal and the Real. Uh, and then next week, uh, today's an introduction. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, a huge question. It's going to be very, very practical next week. You're going to get a lot of tools for your family. Uh, so please be sure to come. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to give you a question that you can take to your family. If you ask your family this question, it could be a game changer. Seriously. And I'm not overstating it. You wait and see next week. It could change everything in your family. Okay. And then week three, we're going to be uh, looking at, uh, you know, uh, fighting in family. How, how many of us uh, have been involved in a family fight at some time or another? Go ahead and raise your hand. Family fight. The rest of you are lying. And we are five minutes into the service. So you can talk about that over lunch today. Uh, that need that you have in your life. Uh, but that's what we're going to be talking about. Week four, we're going to be talking about uh, Jamie Slobodnik's going to be doing a, a service uh, or a lesson called All the Fixins. Uh, perfect for Thanksgiving. Uh, what he's going to talk about in week four is he's going to be talking about those estranged family members that you or you know of that you haven't talked to or someone hasn't talked to that, that there's just no contact. What do you do with that? And we're going to talk about that in week four. Uh, and then week five, uh, there may be a week six. We're working on that. We're going to be talking about children. So this is, this is going to be a great week. And also in your uh, newsletters that you're going to get today, on the back of your newsletter, there's some discussion questions that we're going to be doing each week that have to do with what we talk about this week. So you can take those home, share those in your small group, in your faith group. Really, really great. You, you know, if you're a guest here today, you can take those questions home and, and go over them with your family. Uh, some really, really great questions that could lead to some incredible uh, strides in building a better and stronger family. Why this series? I don't know if you know it or not, but families are in crisis. Uh, marriages are in crisis. Families are in crisis. And so we need this series. We need this series to go back and look at, you know, what, what God is up to and what God can do in our, in our families. So, you know, in talking about families... They're so diverse. They're incredibly diverse. And that's why, because they're so different, it makes the conversation very complicated, very difficult. But at the same time, even though it's complicated, it's so relevant 
Because all of us, no matter where you are in your state of life, whether your children are grown and you're an empty nester, or you know, if you're on, on your first marriage, second marriage, third marriage, in between marriages, divorce, you know, and, and, and maybe you've got the teens here and you know, you're not even thinking about family and marriage, you're just thinking about, can I graduate from high school? Uh, you know, and I'm not there yet. This, this what we're going to talk about today, is so, so important. But because there's so much difference among all of us, I thought, you know, what, what do we have in common, all of us? And that's very difficult with a group like this, with backgrounds so diverse. So I was only able to come up with two things that all of us have in common. Are you ready? Number one is, we didn't have a choice in the matter about our family. You ever heard the phrase that uh, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family? Usually your, your parents tell you that when you marry into another family, you know, with your in-laws. They tell you after you get married, not before. They break that to you. But you, none of us have a choice. Your family is your family. It's blood. You don't have any decision. But, you know, it's interesting that uh, when you're in, you know, middle school type of, your, your, you know, in the season of your life, None of us want to be in the family that we're in. You know, you wish that you could have been raised in the family of the people next door. What do I mean by that? Like, they, they, they eat cereal for dinner. You know, they, they sleep in their clothes. Da- the dad is just always fun. You know, I wish I'd been grown up in that family. Right? That's what we think. I, I remember thinking that. Some families I didn't want to be raised in, their, in our neighborhood. But others, Yes. So, man, that's a great family to be brought up into. But it's interesting, you know, that, that, that's what we think. And why is that? Because families are complicated. Families are complicated. And the word father is not a neutral word. It stirs up a lot of emotions in people's hearts. The word mother, the word family stirs up a lot of different things. And then the second thing that all of us have in common is this. No one in your family is as smart as you are. This happens like pre-high school, high school time. You know, you get in a state where like, man, if I could just sit down with the whole family and they gave me a microphone, I would straighten everybody out. You know what I'm talking about? You know, and, and, and usually for the teenagers, you got this down. You know, you, you'd love this holiday season to get a microphone, sit the whole family down, like right in this section and say, okay, you need to be nice. You need to stop drinking so much. You need to go back to school. You need to get a job. And, and, and mom, you need to do this. And dad, you need to do this. And everything will be fine. I got all the answers. Right, teenagers? You got it. No one's as smart as you are. But you know, the interesting thing is you get older. Like around when you have teenagers and you're a parent. You know absolutely Nothing. You know, I started out as a minister. I was a, I was a teen minister, you know. And I would work with teens and I would work with parents. And I had all the answers, right? I would give advice to parents. I would, you know, I had all figured out. I would tell them, well, you need to do this with your kids. You need to do this with your kids. Then when you have your own kids and they're your teenagers, you have absolutely no idea what to do. And I remember sitting there many, many times with my kids going, I should know what to do. I'm a minister. I, I've done, been through this. I know what, what I should know. And I have absolutely no idea how to approach this. Isn't that interesting? You know everything and then you don't know anything. 
And that's what we all have in common. But when we look at the Bible today, it's interesting about the, the, particularly the Old Testament. There are really not that many great examples of families in the Old Testament. Give you an example. Jesus' family, for example. When he was 12 years old, this is how good of a family he had. They left him in Jerusalem and didn't figure it out until three days later. Oh, where's Jesus? Oh, I I think we left him. Let's go back and get him. I mean, could you imagine, you know, how that must have felt? I mean, what are we talking about? The son of God and the family he was in? They, they, They forgot him. You know, three days later. That's a great example of family in the Bible. Adam and Eve. They had the perfect environment. Talk about set up. They were in the perfect environment. And, and, and something terrible happened. What Adam did, he chose a woman over God. And John Eldridge has this quote in one of his books. He says, in the Garden of Eden, man chose woman over God. And men have been choosing women over God ever since. Couldn't be more true. You know, and then, then Adam and Eve, and then you got the very first children of Adam and Eve, the very first homicide in the Bible. And it's a family. It's a brother and a brother. I mean, and, and you know the sad thing about Cain and Abel? They could have worked this out. This could have been resolved if they'd have just gone back to God and His Word. And then the very first civil war in, in, in the Old Testament of Israel. Do you know how that civil war started? David and Absalom? It was a father and son, and it split a country. It split a nation. A father and son conflict. And it could have been resolved. Thousands of people died. People were maimed over a father and son conflict. I mean, that's how significant we're going to, what we're going to talk about is today. It's huge. But all these examples are in the Bible, in the Old Testament. So, so as we begin this, this, this series, the teaching that we're going to look at today is from the New Testament. But the, I can't emphasize this enough. The teaching that we're about to see in the first century, in its context, when it was introduced, is so different for the, it was so different for the audience that heard it. It was so radically different and so extreme. And, you know, many of us don't realize that we take for granted. We think, oh, yeah, that's grandma, that's granddad, and a lot of tough stuff we're going to be talking about is old-fashioned. It really wasn't. It was the very first time that some of this teaching had ever, ever been introduced. It's so extreme. What am I talking about? The way women, the way women were treated in the first century, particularly in Asia Minor, where, where the letters we're going to be looking at were written to, the Apostle Paul. Do you know how women were treated? You know what level in society women had in society at the time that this was written? They were just a step up from cattle. Women were treated this way. And children, children weren't even given names when they were born. You know why? Because the mortality rate was so high, they weren't sure if the child was going to live. So they waited to give the child a name. And then when they were older, children were treated off to the side. They were like property. They were commodity. They, they were not given. And when Jesus said those words, let the children come to me. Let the children come to the front row. That was so radical. Because children were pushed to the side, they were pushed to the back, 
In fact, when parents left their children inheritances, many times they wouldn't leave it to their children. They'd leave it to somebody else because they didn't trust their children. There was such an estranged relationship, so they'd find a servant who was reliable, who was faithful, and they would receive the inheritance, not the children. So, you know, when we hear this teaching go, oh yeah, that's kind of old school. No, this was so radical for the people at this time that we're going to look at today. And we have the, the opportunity to look at. In every culture, and this is the interesting before we even look at it, in every culture since the time that it was embraced, a biblical worldview, women and children have fared better. Any time that people in a society decided to use the Scriptures as a guide that they would take the biblical worldview of the world, children and women fared better. But interestingly enough, in every culture that has moved away from a biblical worldview, you know what's the part of society that suffers the most? Women and children. Right now in our world, there's a group of women that are fighting with the tenets of their religion for equal right and respect. And they're being pushed down because of it. Some are being martyred because of it. And it's all because they're not in touch with what God and His Word teaches. Now, with that, here's something that I want to give you as a, as a warning today. That in our nation right now, as our nation moves further and further away from a biblical worldview, the group that will suffer the most in our society is who? Women and children. In fact, there's a segment of our society right now that's moving away from a biblical view of marriage and family. And you know who's suffering? You know who's being thrust below the poverty line right now in 2012? You know the group of people, the segment of our population that is impoverished the most? Guess who it is? Women and children. Because we've moved away from a biblical worldview. The good news is God's church. And if you're a guest here today, the good news is you can change that. And women are like, yeah, it's about time. You have no idea. You have no idea how it was in the first century. And Jesus, for the first time, put women at an equal level as men. That when Jesus says, I'm going to give my life for you, it wasn't for men he was saying, I'm going to give my life for all of you, men, women, and children. And he put them at a level that was equal for the very first time. This was brand new. No other culture, no other society had introduced this teaching about women and children. It was the very first time. And it's amazing that it's even survived the first century. And so as we take these things for granted today in our families and our societies, that when you as a husband even attempt to treat your wife nice, guess why that is? Because of the influence on our society, a Judeo-Christian society on which it was built, has influenced even today the way we treat women and children. Over 2,000 years ago it was introduced. And for the very first time, so let's begin our study today, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2. And this was the Apostle Paul's teaching 
Uh, we're going to look at also the Apostle Peter and what he said about, about family. Okay, so you ready? This, this, remember, this is revolutionary teaching that we're looking at. Never before seen in the world. Here it is. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. So, so the Apostle Paul gives instruction to children. He's saying, listen, children, this is so important. Your role in the family and how you help the family. And, and that he would even mention children in the Bible is amazing. That he would, he would dedicate some teaching to them. And our parents in the house go, amen, let's, 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 let's hear this teaching. Let's, let's, let's hang this teaching everywhere. And, okay, your, your time's coming, kids. Don't worry. The parents are going to get some, too. Then if, uh, Colossians chapter 3, another letter from Paul, verse 18. Wives, wives, submit, to your, submit yourselves to your husband. But wait, 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 wait. You don't know my husband. You don't know how difficult he is. And I understand this is what Paul says. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. And then we go on to another passage in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Now, this, 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 this part right here, why did he have to say this? Love your wife. Because they didn't love their wife. The husbands were mean to their dogs. They were mean to their horse. And guess who else they were mean to? Their wives. They didn't love their wives. Their wives were a commodity. They were, they, were, they, were, they were something else. They weren't treated. And for the very first time, Paul introduces this teaching of husbands. It's important how you treat your wives. And this was radical. And Jesus was the first one to, and he says, don't be harsh with them. Why do you say that? Because they were harsh. And so here he is setting the standard. And we read on in verse, verse 21. Fathers. Now he's talking to dads. Fathers, don't embitter. Or another word that the Bible uses. Anybody know? Exasperate. That's another biblical word. Don't exasperate. In other words, don't frustrate your children. Fathers. Dads. Because that's our tendency as dads. This is probably the area, if I could identify with one thing that I have not done well on many occasions as a dad, is I've frustrated my kids. And everything that I've said is right. It's true. It's, 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 it's the right thing. It's the true thing. It's the way I said it. And see, what we don't understand, and this is the amazing thing about this teaching. It's 2,000 years old. It was taught by a single guy. Who didn't have children. And yet he states something so profound in the family dynamic. Here's something for, for parents to understand. Moms, your, way, your words weigh about 25 pounds. Dads, your, ways, your words weigh about 500 pounds. And that's what Paul is saying. It's so important, dads, how you communicate to your children because it affects them. It affects them so much. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. And, and I'm so thankful that this teaching, because it made me think and it made me go back and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry because I came down on you too hard. 
I'm sorry because what I said was insensitive. Yeah, it was true. But the way I presented it, I mean, I just, I just crushed their spirit on so many occasions. And I'm thankful that I have this teaching to bring me back to center. So that I realize, no, what I say to my kids, and if, you've got any, if we've got any young fathers in the house, I want to encourage you to weigh in on what Paul is saying. But this is 2,000-year-old stuff, and it is exactly right. How many of us here today have been affected by the dysfunction and the hurt and the oppression of dads? And here's, here's Paul, 2,000-year-old teaching, bringing this to light so that we can know better. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, this is probably the most amazing Scripture. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs. Wait a minute. Heirs? Yes, that they receive the same inheritance. She's your sister. She's at an equal par with you. Husbands, she is at the same level. Jesus, when He died for you, husbands, guess who else He died for? Your wife. She's on par with you. You've got to treat her at the same level. Because God loves you. This is revolutionary teaching in the first century. With you, the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You know, it affects our relationship with God, how we treat each other and families. The dynamic that we have. And it's not enough just to come to church. You've got to take it home. You've got to take it with you wherever you go with your family. Because it affects our relationship with God. But the point that I want to make today is, and I, I can't overemphasize it, this teaching that we're going to look at this week, next week, was so outside of the box for the people of its time. And we can look at it today and go, oh yeah, this is what my grandparents taught, and it's old school. And no, no, you've got to understand, this was radically different. Radically different. And then in verse 3 it says, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. In summary, so let's just bring it all together. This is the introduction, right? And we're going we're gonna to drill a lot of these subjects down, but let's just go through what we've talked about so far. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate to them. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't irritate your children. All right, let's close out with a prayer because that's all we have, right? We got it. Here's the thing, though. Jesus, Jesus taught things and pointed, he taught and pointed to an ideal. Yet he refused, he refused to condemn those who fell short. This is huge. See, because when you go through that list of fathers, husbands, wives, children, we're all guilty, right? We're, we're all guilty. And what did Jesus do? He pointed to a north star. He pointed to an ideal. And he says, this, this is where it's got to be. But at the same time, when you didn't make it, he didn't condemn you. He said, get up and keep looking and keep striving for that north star. 
keeps going. And that's what we're going to be looking at. You know, today and, and in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some things that are going to make you feel very uncomfortable about your family dynamic. But remember, Jesus is not condemning you. He's calling you out of your current state in your life. And that's what's so amazing about Jesus. And he did this over and over again. He set an ideal. He pointed at a high point and he said, but I'm not going to condemn you when you don't live up to it. And it was powerful. It was powerful. Examples of this. And we're going to look at one today. In the first century, how did they look at adultery? Adultery was a big deal. It was a serious sin. And Jesus taught strongly at it. If, and then, then he introduced this new teaching because Jesus always did this. He set the bar higher. Whatever the bar was for the Old Testament, for what God's teaching was, he raised it. He said, well, yeah, you've heard it said that if you commit adultery, you're, you're sinning against God and it's very serious. But I'm going to take it a not, not, notch higher. If you're a man and if you even look at a woman, if you even look at a woman lustfully, guess what? You're an adulterer. And at this point... He condemned every single man in his audience of adultery. Wow, Jesus. That isn't that. that and, and, and I'm just going to speak for the men today, but this may very well include women. But I'm just talking to the men today. Jesus was just talking to the men on that occasion. Men, if you look, we're done. We're fried. We're guilty. We, we can't even say anything. We're done. We're on par with adulterers. That's a high expectation. That's a high. And he always raised the standard. And so we're going to look at this teaching about adultery and about divorce today. So if you have a Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 19, it'd be good for you to test it and make sure that I got it correct on the screen. Every once in a while, I get things wrong. You've got to make sure and people come up and say, hey, the verse was wrong, the scripture was wrong. Are you sure this is what it is? Matthew 19, verse 3. Now, this was Jesus approached by some religious leaders, teachers of the law, about a morality question, about a family question. And here it is. Some of the Pharisees came to him to test him. So they didn't want the truth. They were trying to test him. They were trying to catch him. They were trying to catch Jesus. And they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Pretty good question for today, isn't it? State of California. Do you have to have a good reason to get divorced? Not really. Uh, unreconcilable differences. What, what's that? What, what is that? A lack of communication. What is that? But in the first century, they had a no-fault divorce plan that you wouldn't even believe. But it all favored men. It all favored men. Here's what I'm talking about. If a man was married and he just came home one day and said, you know what? I don't like the way you cook dinner. Your chicken's overcooked. I don't like it. We're getting a divorce. There you go. We're done. And guess what? They were done. At the whim. Burnt toast, burnt chicken, whatever it was, didn't clean the room, whatever it was. At any whim, and it was within the legal right of a husband to do that. Now, women, if they want a divorce, too bad, so sad, your dad. No way out. 
you could not get out of that marriage because you're a woman. There was no way out. That's, that's the setting of this teaching. And so Jesus addresses this huge question. Haven't you read, he replied, that in the beginning, so Jesus says, this may be your standard now, but let's go back to the beginning. What was God's intention when he created marriage? A little later today at 3 o'clock, there's going to be a marriage right here on this stage of a Latin couple. And I'm going to do the wedding. Imagine, where do you want to point these new couples? You want to point them back to the beginning, and that's what Jesus said. Forget about what's happening today. Here's the North Star. Here's the ideal. Let's go back to the beginning. And here's what he says. The Creator, God, made the male and female and said this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. One flesh. Not two people. They'll become one. And whatever becomes one, you cannot split up. He goes on to say that. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God, what happens in a marriage? God has joined two people together. And no one has a right to separate them. Whoa. Jesus. Jesus, that, that's, that's so high. What do you do with this situation? What do you do with the other situation? How is it possible? Jesus, what are you saying? And then in verse 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Why did, Joe, why did Moses make this, this, this rule change? Because things were so bad. Things were so bad. And so Jesus came to, to bring us back, to save us, and bring us back to the way God intended things to be. Now, here's a huge question. Jesus, what are you saying? This is, so, this is so intense, but do you realize what's happening in our society? If you're here today and you've been divorced, where does this, what does this make you feel? You're done. You're out. And they came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what are you going to do for all those divorced people? I'm not going to do anything to them. I'm going to do something for them. Jesus, what are you going to do for all those, those, those divorced people? I'm going to give my life for them. And so, which one is it, Jesus? Is it a rule or is it not a rule? Yes. No, 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 wait a minute. Jesus, give us a straight answer. Is it, is it no divorce or yes divorce? Yes. And that brings us to attention. A huge tension. There's, there's, there's a rub here. What do you do? I mean, you got real and you got ideal. Jesus brought us to an ideal. But what do you do with real? And Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm going to die for you. 
If you have a family member, if you know someone, or even you have been through a divorce, how does this scripture teach? How does it make you feel? I guarantee a lot of you, you just checked out of the lesson right when you heard those words. It just shut off. You went to sending a text or because there's so much pain. You feel condemned. So which one is it? Yes. What, 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 what approach do we take then? Jesus, help us out. What do we do? Is it, is it this or is it this? Yes. And see, you and I have to embrace that tension. We have to embrace that tension because it, it's, it's, we can't afford as, as a people. And if you're, if you're not a Christian, I understand. You know, you haven't come to believe in the Bible yet. And you've got questions about why do bad things happen to good people? And what about the dinosaurs? Okay, okay, I, I got it. I got it. You've got some things you've got to work through. And hopefully in time you'll be able to work through those things. But if you're a follower of Jesus, he's calling us, us, to an ideal that many of us have fallen short of. Many of us have failed to fulfill that. And you can't reverse it. You can't change what you've done. Right? So what do I do? I'm a divorcee. I'm I'm getting a divorce. What do I do with that? And Jesus says, you've got to come back to the ideal. Well, should I get remarried? Should I go back? And, you know, there's a lot of times it's too late for that. There's no reconciling a broken marriage. But what Jesus is saying, once you become a follower, You've got to start that point and that time in your life where you come back and you say, I'm going back to the ideal. I'm going back to what is right. And see, Jesus did this with an adulterous woman. He didn't condemn her. But he said, from this point on, no more. No more. And see, this is the choice that we have to make in this whole series that we're going to be looking at. Ideal. Or real? Which one is it? And this is the choice that people are making today in our society. They know in their heart what an ideal is, right? But they've got real going on. And the real is very painful. But what our society is doing today is we're accepting real as the norm. Just as they did in the first century. And Jesus said, no more. Can't do that. That's not what God instituted in the beginning. I understand you're real. And I've died for that real. And I'm giving you a new beginning so you can start over. But I want you to uphold. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you say, I, I'm with Jesus, you cannot, you do not have the right to abandon the teaching of Jesus and teaching of the Bible. We have no place to do that. But it's hard. And it's messy. And in the area of family, you and I know this, we fall short on many occasions from the ideal. 
But let us not, as a people, as a church, let us not, because of our real, let go of the ideal. Can't do that. And that's Jesus' whole point of His ministry. Are we going to embrace that tension between is it or isn't it? What is it? And you just got to embrace it and hold on to it. And here's a big question. Are we going to change the rules so we feel better about ourselves? That's what our society is doing right now. We're changing the rules. We're accepting it. We're making it the norm. Divorce is the norm. A broken family is the norm. It's just the way it is and we need to accept it. And guess what? We try to feel better about ourselves. But the truth is, we don't. We carry it around with us. And it's painful. And then you've got the consequence, generation after generation, of what happens. And the problem is when you follow Jesus you're going to feel very uncomfortable about your situation. That's what makes it hard to follow Jesus. Because it makes you feel really uncomfortable. How does a divorcee, how does a person on a second marriage, a third marriage, walk into church and go, how's this going to work? How does a broken family approach this teaching that is so high And the, the, the answer is, I'm going to give my life for you. We sang this song this morning. How deep? How wide? How deep is it? How deep is it? How wide is it? Really? The grace and love and forgiveness of God. It's huge. But... It can't be an excuse for us to smooth everything over. And that's why we've got to hold on to this teaching about family. What does the Bible say about family? And that's what we're going to be looking at. But as this is the context. This is the foundation for the next few weeks that we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at some ideals. And they're going to be a lot higher than what we're used to. And we've got some choices to make. But I'm saying let us not settle. Let us not settle. For what is going on in our society. Setting the Christian part aside. Now, this is for you that are not Christians. Let's just set aside Christianity, okay? Bible, morality. You're not sure yet. You're not, you're not quite there yet. I know this about you. Those of you who have children and you've gone through a divorce. Single parents. What's one of the prayers that you have for your children? I know of no parent, not one, have I ever met that's gone through a divorce that desired that for their children. What's, a, what's the prayer of a parent of a broken home? God, I pray, I pray that my children, the father of a daughter, of a broken marriage, what does he want for her, his daughter? He prays that she will find a man that will marry her and say the words, until death do us part. 
See, and there's the double standard. We want something for our children, but we settle and we lower the standard for ourselves. You can't have it both ways. What's hanging in the balance right now? Families. And that's why I want to encourage you, members of the church, bring people out for the next few weeks because they are going to get some gold, solid gold teaching that could change everything. And it's not me. I'm not the one. It's, it's what we're going to be looking at. The scriptures, the teachings. And if you're here today, I ask you and I, I call you to go and think about what I said. What do you want for your children? You want the ideal or you want the real? I promise you, there's not one parent in this world that would will disaster and all the pain, all the, the carnage that comes from a broken home. Nobody wants that. So you as a parent have to make a choice. Where, how am I going to raise my kids? And let our children be the fuel. Let it, let, it, let it fuel us to reach for the ideal of Jesus. No matter what your background. And I want to encourage you young people here today. As you think about your future family. How do you want things to be? Where do you want? What's your image of the future family? What's it going to look like? Are you going to reach for the ideal? Are you going to settle for the real? That hard, dark real that some of you are living right now. It's your choice. The great news is Jesus gives us access to the ideal with no condemnation. There's pain, there's guilt, but he says, I forgive you and I'm going to give you a new start. That's why I believe the church needs to be the best place for broken homes. People who've blown it, who've made mistakes, the church needs to be. It hasn't always been, but it needs to be the place where someone can start over and come and say, hey, listen, I've made a mess. Can you show me my way back home? You say, yes. I can show you a picture of a future family for you and a future family for your children. So we're going to leave you, I'm going to leave you with these, these last words. Faith in action. If you're here, you know, and you, you know, well, I don't know if I'll be back next week. I've got some things going on. I want to encourage you to come back. This could be the difference. And, you know, if there's something you can't change, go online and watch the series. If you have friends that you, you want to see this stuff... Send them to our website. It'll be on the, the newsletter that you're going to get today. But let me say this. Our families right now in this area, the, 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 the East Gabriel Valley, is in dire need of hope and of ideals again. And people don't want to settle for real because real is killing them. And then two is... I want to encourage you, and if, if you're ready to make a change today, and this happens, if you're ready to decide today, today I'm done, I've heard enough, I've come enough, I'm, I'm done, I want to change. I want to encourage you to do our core four Bible studies with the person that invited you. This can happen this week. This week. We've had people that have, that have decided in one week and everything changes in their life. And then they stand back there in the back and they get baptized. For the forgiveness of all their sins. And they begin a new journey in their faith. With full forgiveness. And then number three. 
I want to encourage us to go over the questions in the follow-up study guide in the back of your newsletter. So again, you got might have a lot of questions today. This is an introduction. So come back next week. You'll get more answers. All right, let's close in a prayer for our communion that we're going to take now. Pray with me. Father, we, uh, we are humbled by your teaching. It's painful to see what a mess we've made of our lives. We come to you now as we remember Jesus' body and blood that were shed for us. As we take the communion, we ask you to please forgive us and give us a new start. God, we know our families are hanging in the balance. And we know that some of us, we haven't treated our children well. We've frustrated them. We know that there's, there's, there's wives here today that, that haven't been submissive to their husbands. There's husbands that haven't loved their wives. God, we've fallen short. And we ask you to please forgive us and give us a new beginning today. And we ask you, God, to help us to reach for the ideal so that we can be different and that we can have a great family. God, I pray for our families, that the blood of Jesus will wash over our families and help us, help us, God, so that we can live the life as you designed it from the beginning. God, we praise you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We honor him. We remember him today. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.